Welcome to Spiritual Questions That People Ask in Therapy. There is an overlap between emotional health and spirituality that I come across regularly in my work as a psychotherapist. In these episodes, I hope to shed some light on this confusion. If you have any questions you would like me to address, please feel free to email devoirinussbaum at gmail.com. So today's question is, we speak in the Torah and in the prayers about God being our Father in heaven. I don't have a very good relationship with my father. He was aloof and uncaring sometimes, and at other times he was highly aggressive towards me. I find myself in moments of panic and fear, thinking that God is just a bigger, stronger version of that doing this to me, and he doesn't care about me. When I think about this deeply, I become very confused, because on the one hand, I also know in theory that God is good and God loves me, and at the same time I feel something completely different. How do I make sense of this? So this is a great question, and it really begins with understanding our nervous system and understanding how our brain works and what I like to call the vessel of our bodies. Because this person here wrote in their question, I know in theory that God is good and God loves me. This is what we would call light, information, all light being information or energy or life force or anything along those lines. But the processing, the material matter, the container, the way that we take that light and we integrate it as information that is practically relevant to our lives, that is what we would call vessel. And every single thing that comes through our senses, everything that we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, sense on any level, spatially or energetically, we filter it through the vessel. We filter it through a process of interpretation that goes on in our brain. So how we interpret language, how we interpret the events of our lives has a massive impact on how we're going to experience the world, how we're going to physically feel about it, and therefore how our bodies are going to respond to it because our bodies respond to information our nervous system give it. So let's just take a deep dive into nervous system 101 to understand how the brain works, how the nervous system works, and how we process information. So the nervous system is the part of the body that is responsible for communicating with every other part of the body. Now, whenever you think a thought, your brain creates something called a neuropeptide. A neuropeptide is a molecule of communication. That molecule is now going to send information to your entire body and tell your body how to react to this thought. This happens so super fast but let's just see realistically what this looks like. Just think of an embarrassing moment that happened last year and notice the sensation of embarrassment creeping into your body instantly. You start to cringe. Your whole body reacts to that, but that embarrassing moment is not happening now. It happened a year ago. So why is your body reacting as if it's happening now? The answer is, is that the physical body does not know the difference between then and now. It reacts to information that is being fed through the brain. Now, this is sometimes subconscious information and sometimes conscious information. Sometimes our subconscious information overrides conscious information. For example, in this person's question, they said, I know in theory God is good and God loves me, but I have made a subconscious association with God being my father and my father not being good. So my body reacts to my subconscious information first and foremost over my conscious information, and it's reacting as if God is a bigger, stronger authority figure who is abusive and controlling. So that is basically the wiring that's happened in that person. So let's take a moment to just look at the subconscious wiring 
of the nervous system and how it begins. So it begins in utero. It begins before our conscious brains are developed. And it is the part of the body that is responsible and part of the brain that is responsible for keeping us safe. And in the language of Hasidus, we would call this the animal soul consciousness. It begins with a veil of separation. It begins with the experience of I am a fragment in the universe. I am not connected and one and united with all things. So I have this experience of utter loneliness and blankness, coldness and darkness. I don't know anything. I don't understand anything. I feel completely alone. That deep core experience then creates a fear of annihilation because I am in a blank and cold and dark space. I can be lost, forgotten, ignored, worthless, etc. You name it. So that fear of annihilation is the core that creates the survival instinct. I need to live. I need to survive. I need to protect myself. I need to keep myself safe. I need to be able to self-express so that I am not worthless and invisible and that I have some kind of value. And based on that, now we're left with Well, how do I keep myself safe? How do I prove that I have worth and value? How do I belong? And that is where we start to be unique within every person. So the first few stages that I just described, everyone has that core of the animal soul consciousness. Everyone has that core of the survival instinct. After that, that's where we individuate. How am I going to keep myself safe in this world? And that is different for every human being, depending on what experiences or life experiences they have had. So from the time that I'm in utero, I begin to pick up information about what is safe and what is dangerous. I begin by aligning with my mother's nervous system. If my mother is a very calm and very safe individual in her own skin, so I will begin to feel calm and safe in my own skin. You know, when a baby is born, we say straight away, skin to skin, put the baby on the mother's chest so that the baby's temperature can align with the mother's temperature. The baby's heart rate can align with the mother's heart rate. There can be an attunement between baby's body, mother's body. And one of those things that we attune to as well, which is not very well spoken about, is also the nervous system. And this is why we have stories, for example, of babies that were born in the Holocaust who didn't cry. They literally picked up from their mother's nervous system that it's not safe to express needs in any way, shape or form. And they just mirrored that. How did the baby know? The baby doesn't know where it's being born into or that this specific place is dangerous or not. But it picks up the vibe from the mother's nervous system and it just aligns with that. It's called resonance. So beginning with that, that's our first programming. And because I don't necessarily have a sense of self yet when I'm born, I also just pick up messages from my environment. And I think, well, if my environment feels good, that means I am good. I don't necessarily consciously think that, but I'll feel comfortable and happy. And if my environment feels not comfortable, so I will begin to feel uncomfortable. And up to the age of about two, we are picking up literally just things through our senses, through our body, how I feel comfortable, uncomfortable. And that programming is being imprinted into my nervous system and into my amygdala about safety and danger. At around the age of two, I start to develop self-consciousness and I start to develop a slightly more conscious thought process of how do I keep myself safe and how do I keep myself protected. So that is where I start to create stories and assumptions about what's going on to kind of give myself a sense of meaning and understanding about the world. Children at very young ages, very cute to watch, but they make tons of assumptions about reality and they make very, very generalized statements as well as very 
very black and white thinking. So either I had the best day ever or I had the worst day ever because one incident happened that I was uncomfortable, but everything else falls out the window. Or you see with children, they'll say, I love you so much, but then a minute later, I hate you completely. So there's a lot of extremes going on, a lot of black and white thinking. They're trying to figure out the rules of life in order to keep themselves safe. Who am I safe around? Who can I let down my guard with? Who can I laugh with? Who can I love? And who's going to reject me? And where am I going to be humiliated? And they just keep on creating those rules and those programmings depending on their own unique circumstances and social interactions and attachment styles and how their parents and their family system is. And by the time we reach to the age of seven, we have a full set of subconscious programming about who am I, what my value is, how do I get seen, how do I get understood, how do I survive this world. And some people survive by being the center of attention. They have learned that when you're the center of attention, you get your needs met. Other people have learned that the center of attention is a dangerous place to be because you may be humiliated or you may be noticed and become a target for something. And they have learned to melt into the background and become somewhat invisible. And that is how they keep themselves safe. So it's very unique to everybody. But By that time, we have developed what we would call our animal soul subconscious programming. It's not entirely only what creates our personality because we're also born with natural tendencies, different amounts of earth, air, fire and water, which also shape our personalities as well. So it's our life experiences together with our innate nature that we're born with. And together we end up with this, what we would call animal soul consciousness. It's the survival instinct and it's got many amazing qualities to it and it keeps us really safe and surviving in a world of absolute chaos and confusion for so many people. And at the same time, it comes a point in our lives when we start to become adults, we start to think things through a little deeper and we start to realize that that subconscious programming is actually running my life to a certain degree. Like in this scenario with this question, I'm an adult now and I'm trying to figure out religion. I'm trying to figure out what I believe about God. I'm trying to figure out where I fit in all of this. So my survival instinct has told me, do what God wants, do what your parents told you, just be that good girl. And I've been doing that. But now it's time for me to make my relationship with God my own. It's time for me to figure out what is God and what relationship do I have with God and why am I doing what I'm doing? And is this meaningful to me? And we all come to a point in our lives where we have to ask those questions. We can't just continue doing things in a habitual or mindless way. In order for it to become meaningful to us, we have to choose it. We have to choose it and we have to know why we're doing what we're doing and believe in what we're doing in order for us to feel a sense of alignment in our lives. So this is a great place to start. The great place to ask is, well, what is God? If God isn't all those threats that I was told as a child when my subconscious programming was being programmed and people told me, do this, or you're going to get punished or whatever our programming was. So what is God? What is God? And in order for a person to actually come to that place, to be able to ask that question, what is God versus what has been my subconscious programming of God? We have to be in what we call a parasympathetic nervous system state. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system state is the state where our bodies feel completely relaxed, completely open, completely safe. It's the rest and restore mode in the body. So my physical body will be open. My muscles will be relaxed. I'll be in a state of curiosity and wonder, a state of self-awareness, 
a state of, oh, what's going on over here? So I won't be afraid and I won't feel defensive. As soon as I start to feel fear or defense, my whole posture, body structure, muscular structure, everything shifts and closes and my thoughts become a wild ride of trying to figure this out so that I can control and predict what's going to happen next and keep myself safe. And that goes right back into the animal self-consciousness or the fear-based consciousness. Whereas if I notice, oh gosh, my whole body has gone into that mode. There's something I'm afraid of. I wonder what it is. What am I actually afraid of? I then have the capacity to notice, well, wow, there is a part of me that is connecting that experience of my father with what I was told about God as being my father in heaven. Makes total sense that I would do that. And to acknowledge and become aware of how much fear and pain you experienced with your father growing up, what that was like for you, to start to have compassion on yourself, this process of reprogramming the subconscious programming of the animal or consciousness begins with awareness and compassion. The awareness that, of course, my subconscious did that. It was trying to keep me safe all these years. How amazing is that? It didn't know another way. It didn't know how to integrate conscious information or it didn't even have the conscious information to integrate. But now that my prefrontal cortex or my parasympathetic nervous system has begun to develop. Now the parasympathetic nervous system or the prefrontal cortex part of the brain that enables a person to be self-aware and to ask curious questions only fully develops around the age between 25 and 30. And so this is really what we would call a mature state. Now, for some people, it doesn't even develop at that time because they are constantly living in a sympathetic state and they haven't processed trauma and they haven't necessarily become self-aware or understand what's driving them and who they are really. And they haven't started that journey of inner work to kind of identify with who they truly are. They're still living on that subconscious programming. So once we become self-aware, we start to have choice. The choice to reprogram the subconscious programming, really recognizing that the reason why we made this connection was because of a very childlike, scared part of us that was trying to keep us safe. And to really thank that part for its part in keeping us alive until this point and keeping us feeling somewhat emotionally safe and to recognize that it had great intentions and it did a great job but maybe somehow it's still lacking some information and maybe there are differences here. Now one of the things that the subconscious programming is set up to do is to look for similarities not to look for differences. So let's take for example you have a child who is just learning language and they see a dog and you teach them oh this is a dog and they look at it and they see it's got four legs and it's somewhat fluffy and then they see a cat and they point at the cat and they say dog and we have to teach them no there's actually a difference between a cat and a dog and slowly their brain has to start to figure out what is the difference between a cat and a dog and they have to start really noticing now and honing in on details so originally what happens is, is the brain makes associations and connections and we have to consciously make new files look for differences and then their child sees a raccoon and they say cat and you're like no that's a raccoon and now we have to start becoming even more nuanced what is the difference between a cat and a raccoon and the more that we do that the more that we become aware of all the different diversity in life now on a very subconscious level, when we don't actually look into things in more detail and when we don't look for the differences, we automatically make assumptions and clump things together. So what happened in this person's mind, their subconscious brain clumped God and Father and Father in Heaven all together because the person hadn't looked at the differences between my Father and God. When we talk in the Torah about God being our Father, why? Why do we call God a Father? Why don't we call Him a Mother? Why do we use that language? Like, What does a Father represent? What is a Father a symbol of? And 
what is my father and who was my father? And if I haven't differentiated or started to ask those detailed questions, I am, of course, going to make associations. So we start by asking, what is the difference between my father and God? And we have to then ask, well, what is God? I'm going to give three minutes description of God here because really we can talk about what God is for our entire lives and never really fully know. But the definition of what God is according to Hasidus is all life force energy, all information, literally all power and energy that exists in the world is God expressing himself in different ways. So literally nothing exists outside of God because even if you take the material matter of something and you break it down, you're going to find out in the end that it's just energy and everything is just made up of one form of energy or another. So really God is every single thing that exists, expressing himself in different ways and all information, all coding and all programming and nothing truly exists other than God. So if we're talking about this most expansive, energizing, life-giving, knowledgeable, aware and conscious light that is the source of all creation and is all creation just expressing itself in different ways. So what is the difference between that and my father? So this is a great question because if my father is a part of this life-giving energy that we call God, so is God also all the things that my father did that were abusive? And if God is my father, then is God doing those things to me? My father's doing those things to me? We can come down to all of these very great questions. And I think it boils down to this. Again, I'm going to go through this super quick and maybe we'll do another episode of this in more detail. But super quick, human beings are the only beings that God created with free choice. Everything else in nature is programmed to run a certain way. And there's no way of those things in nature to outrun their program. A human being has a subconscious programming, but they also have the capacity to override the subconscious programming through the prefrontal cortex, through the self-awareness of the person, through what we would call the chokhma, the bina and the das, which is the ability to get curious, to logically think, to have values and meaning in life based on information that I've learned and the awareness to be able to choose my actions based on that. And that is a unique gift that human beings have over and above every animal. Now, because human beings have that gift of choice. We can truly choose light. And when we choose light, that is super, super meaningful because it came from us. And God wanted to have a relationship with others. So he created an other to feel separate than him so that when we choose him, there is true relationship there versus everything else in nature that doesn't have this choice. And it's just an expression of himself. But the flip side of that is that we can actually also choose to go into and create more darkness by continuing to run on our survival instinct in a way that hurts and breaks and fragments the natural flow of things in nature. So we have those two polarities as people. So there is a state that a human being can go into, which is against God's will. And yes, it is still God energy that is keeping him alive at that time, but it's such a small amount just enough to keep him in existence, but it is not the will of God for one human being to hurt another. So why on earth does it talk about God in the masculine? Why does it talk about God being my father? If God is all energy and God is all information, why are we putting pronouns like he, she? And this is also a great question. We're going to do this super fast. So pre-creation, the language that we use for God is or in soif, light without end. Now, that does not have any pronouns because before creation, God was everything in potential, all energy and all information and all consciousness, all completely united with itself, all completely integrated into one absolute unity and wholesomeness. 
Now one is in a state of complete unity and wholesomeness. There is no space for other because everything experiences itself as to be part of the oneness, right? So how does God, whose nature is to do good, how is that goodness going to express itself? So how is God going to create an other in order to express and relate to in a state of giving and goodness? And the answer is God expressed his capacity to conceal himself so that in that space of concealment, he could create other. And this is what we call the process of tzimtzum, the process of God starting to individuate. So he created the space and what happened is, is he took a tiny bit of this orange self light and he beamed it into this dark space. And when he beamed it into this dark space, this was the beginning of individuating or taking out from the whole unified field and separating it into different qualities. A little bit like if you take white light and you shine it through a prism, now you have all the colors of the rainbow. All those colors were within the white light. They were completely integrated within the white light. But you couldn't necessarily see them as individuated beings or individuated things because they were all integrated with each other. So this is what happened at the beginning of creation. God created the 10 spheres, which were the 10 different channels and energies that he then used to create everything else. And this process of symptom is layers and filters and filters and filters and filters, like prisms and prisms and prisms that projecting light into and fragmenting it and light into again and fragmenting it until it starts to create the whole of the diversity of the universe every individuated creature and angel and soul and everything that comes from that. And in this space of individuation, you also have masculine and feminine energy, which were all one and united with each other in our end self, now become separated from each other. You have masculine versus feminine. And the masculine energy is basically what we call the giver. The feminine energy is the receiver and the transformer. Imagine the orange self light shining through that prism. That prism is the feminine energy. It's the receiver of the light, but it's also the transformer. It now expresses it as all the different colors. And this is how masculine and feminine work. You have the masculine who gives the seed to the woman and the woman transforms it into a baby and gives birth. And this is basically the energy of masculine and feminine that exists in the world. And it's an extremely complex structure which uses these principles in order to start to create and come ultimately to a place where it can create a universe where God cannot be seen by the physical senses and other than through the perception on the awareness of tapping into our souls and our innate belief in the oneness and unity of all things and also learning about God and understanding God and then we begin to perceive God through nature and through the Torah that we learn and through our own souls, our inner divine spark. So why do we speak of God as Father? Because the energy that gives into the world or the source of all creation is the masculine energy, whereas the receiver of all information and the transformer into the reality is what we call feminine energy. And the feminine aspect of God is what we call shchina. And the shchina is the expression of the physical world and all the life force energy that exists within it. So nature, for example, when you look at a tree or you look at the life force in an animal or you look at a plant that is growing, the energy within that is shchina, it's feminine. And one of the things we say is mother earth. We refer to nature as feminine, whereas the source of that energy the tiny drop of life force energy that then becomes channeled into and creates and enlivens all of nature, that tiny original drop comes from the masculine. It's that energy of masculine that is then implanted into feminine and creates this most beautiful, wonderful world that we're in. So whenever we're talking about God as father, we're talking about God as source, source of life force energy of everything that exists. When we talk about shchina, we talk about the feminine aspect of God. We're talking about our experience of God within the realm of nature and what is here and we are accessing. So when we start to understand these ideas, we start to realize that actually when we say God is my father and 
heaven. We're saying God is the source of all this life force energy. We're not in any way aligning my father who struggled with a specific unique darkness and God is the source of all things. For whatever reason, God put him into this specific darkness in order for him to have a unique inner process of transforming it into light if that's what he chose. And everything that comes from the side of darkness is really a means to an end. It's like the weights we push against. Every single human being is born into a unique version of darkness. We can draw light into those darknesses. So we'll speak about that another time. This is going off topic, talking about you know how it is that a person can be born to a father who struggles with a certain type of darkness. So let's leave that question here. So let's recap everything that we've said up until now. So it all begins with our own self, infinite light without end, desiring a relationship with another, creating space for another, going through a process of a filtering system so that the other can exist without being too overwhelmed by this infinite light without end. So for example, if someone shines a torch into your eyes, can you see? No, because your eyes are too small of a vessel to be able to receive and process the intensity of the light. And so there has to be a filtering system. There has to be space. There has to be sunglasses or whatever version of that filtering system that looks like for you to be able to look at the sun and enjoy it. To look at a beautiful sunset, there has to be a certain distance between you and the sun. So this process of creating space is what we call symptom. And this process is what created our separateness consciousness. We were, as souls, before we were embodied, a part of this unity. We felt it. We were one with it. We were in a higher world, which means there was more revelation of divine light, and we were able to experience it because of the state that we were in. And then we come down to be embodied into a physical world, made of physical matter, where everything is completely veiled, and we don't perceive the unity of all things. In this space, that is where our animal soul consciousness begins to develop, with that veil of separation, that experience of being separate, even though it's not the truth. We are still completely one and united with everything and everything is God, but we don't experience ourselves that way. We see things as separate. And because of that experience, we begin to figure out how to survive in this space. So we start to create the animal soul consciousness and the subconscious programming. And the subconscious programming is based on patterns. It's based on information that we've been fed and we just take it in as on face value. We make similarities between things. We're trying to figure out the world basically with no background information about anything other than what we're being told. As we grow through life, we start to develop our prefrontal cortex. We start to develop our divine soul. Our divine soul is the part of us that begins with an awareness of something greater because we've learned it from a holy book or we have intuited it from a deeper space within that there is something more than the superficial eye can integrate. And the more research that we do and the more that we learn and the more that we start to understand and perceive things from a deeper place, the more we start to logically understand the divine truth of the universe. The more we're able to then look at our instinctive animal soul consciousness with compassion and awareness and to notice it's done the best it could with the tools it has. It has really kept me alive until this point, but now there's a time when I want to start to reprogram it. I want to give it some new truths. I want to help it to see the world through the same glasses that my conscious mind, my divine soul does. And integration happens through communication. So the more that I'm able to hear the voice of my animal soul and have compassion on it and make space for it to express, the more I'm able to then educate and teach it new information. And the more I align my mind, my body, my soul, my emotions, and every part of me, the more internal self-leadership. I'm able to make choices based on what I know. And when I get to this point, I'm able to then decipher between my subconscious programming that 
God and my father are associated to a new awareness, which we described as masculine and feminine energies in the world in general. And masculine and feminine energies doesn't mean that a physical male has only masculine energy and a physical female is only feminine energy. Really, those energies exist within everything. Every female has masculine and feminine energy. They're part of them that is the source of all creativity. For example, the insight, the inspiration, the beginning, everything's there, but it's not been developed. And then we have the part of us that takes a spark of insight and develops it into a whole project. It develops it into a whole teaching, develops it into a, a more in-depth understanding. So these energies, masculine and feminine energies are not super superficial or just one dimensional they are within every single thing that exists and when we're talking about God as our father we are just ascribing the source of all creation to him and it's in no way saying that God is masculine and God is man God is everything male female infinite light without end but what are names names are the ways that we call people names are the ways that we relate to others we relate to others through their names and names really just define the job or the role that we're doing at that specific time So I am mother, I am teacher, I am friend, I am daughter, and all of these in different times, and it just expresses different aspects of myself. And it's the same thing with God. God has many, many names. And whenever we're referring to God by a name, this name does not define him, but what we are defining is the specific unique role that we are experiencing or perceiving right now. So this is why we do refer to God as many things. We refer to him as father, we refer to him as king, and we refer to him as infinite light without end and we refer to him as I, Anoichi, and so on. There are many different names of God. And the more that we understand these concepts and the more that we chew them over in our mind and we differentiate between our instinctive subconscious programming versus a new, more intelligent and more expanded consciousness. And the more compassion we have on the fact that we instinctively grew up with all of these fears, the more that subconscious programming is open to a new idea and a new truth. So this awareness of my starting point that yes I've made that association the compassion towards the fact that I have that starting point and the willingness to learn something new are all parts of this process of developing and maturing our relationship with God the more that we ask questions the more that we get curious the more that we understand our subconscious programming acknowledge for what it is start to think about the differences between then and now and start to have compassion on our own pain and our own traumas from childhood and to be a compassionate holding space and to say you know it makes sense that I created this connection but now as an adult, now as a thinking human being, now as someone who is developing their capacity for choice, I want to do research, I want to understand, I want to know what is God and what is my relationship with God and how do I develop that relationship with God and how do I disentangle my experience of my father with God by understanding information, by having compassion on myself, by then chewing over this information and thinking about it over and over again and allowing that information to filter into my sense of being, to have a felt sense that is born based on that so that I can start to become aware of God as being something so much greater than just a human version of bigger and more abusive authority figure. Thank you so much for listening. It was a pleasure to answer this question. Have a wonderful day. If you wish to have your question discussed or you would like to sponsor an episode, please email devorinussbaum at gmail.com.